Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again and thank you for tuning in with us. We are uh, about to look into another quite interesting topic today, trials and tribulations and lists. And uh, we'll um, see how the Bible is revealing to us uh, uh, some of these uh, things in the next hour. I would like to just welcome the panel for today and uh, thank you very much, each one of you, for joining us. And I will uh, introduce to you today uh, first Brenton, just because uh, we missed you last time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back uh, sharing the scripture and God's word with you all. And Len, also thank you for joining us. Yes. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the program today. Helen, also very welcome. Thank you, Nick. Yes, I just love being here, and I, I'm learning, as so too is the listeners, and so I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very great. Lydia, thank you also to join us again today. Uh, it's so exciting to study God's Word. Thank you for being here. And looking into, a, I would say, quite different uh, Bible study today, uh, we thought we'll pass this to... Pastor Gary, to just deal with uh, with this subject today, and Gary, thank you for. Uh yeah, thanks, Nick. I'm not. I'm not really sure how I managed to uh, um, to uh, score this particular uh, uh, study, but to me, it's an exciting one. It really is an exciting one. You know, Nick. Over the past few weeks, we've actually been studying the biblical books of uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, that uh, period covers the rebuilding of Jerusalem uh, following its destruction by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in the in the sixth century BC. You know, our Bible study today uh, covers so much, so much ground. But you know, one of the most challenging portions of this week's uh, this week's Bible study. Uh, talks about biblical genealogies. But look, before we start, let's, uh, let's just bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to open your word, your holy word, which mm -hmm. was written for us. Amen. And Lord, today as we look into this subject, may there be some things that will be of benefit to everyone, Amen. us as a panel and the listeners. Amen. We pray also, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might fill us as we present and also the listeners as they listen, that your word might be magnified and that people will give their lives to you because of what is written in your holy book. So we invite your blessings today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Len. Really, really do appreciate that. It's a portion of the scripture that a lot of people very quickly uh, skip over. If there's a portion of the Bible that anyone is going to just simply jump over, it's these things called the genealogies. Len, can you tell us, what is a genealogy? I mean, that's a big word. Well, I actually pronounce the word a little different. I say genealogy. However, this year I was involved in writing my paternal family history. Why did I do that? Well, not that I like writing that much, but in the um, forward in the history, the book that's been produced, I've written there so that our children and our grandchildren will know their background. And I'm going to just share with you a little bit. This is a personal thing. My oldest grandson's name is Liam. His father is Mark. 
Then comes me, Len. My father was named Melvin. His father was Carl Friedrich August, and his father was Carl Friedrich August, and his father was Carl Friedrich. <laughs> so when Liam gets to an age and he's wondering, where did I come from? He'll have it there in front of his nose. It's, it's to show where, we, where people have come from, who went before. That's important, isn't it, Len? This, to, to actually know where I come from and where I'm actually going becomes the next question. But, Helen, you're going to come in on this. Yeah, I was thinking of my boy, my youngest. We adopted him when he was six weeks old. And I've talked to a lot of people who've been adopted because I used to go along to the adoption club and what have you, and to hear the different stories. And I think the genealogies gives us a sense of belonging and that is one thing I found with people that are adopted. They, they kind of, you know, I remember from my son, you know, even though he loved me and I, you know, was his mother to him, I've, he always knew he was adopted and he was special. But it came a time when he wanted to know who his parents were. And I think that's with all of us. I'm not big and heavy into genealogies or genealogies or whatever you call it, Len. Unless um, my brother is, and he's he's gone through it all. But it does give you a sense of belonging, doesn't it? And it's like, you know, God is saying, you all belong to me. And, mm. and these, you know, it's, it's really a, a comforting feeling, if you like, that you're here and you're here you come from a line and the line may not be a nice line but you still belong and that's so important to people and this is becoming more relevant today isn't it you know this sense of belonging where do i fit in the big scheme of things well when i was doing this family history i never actually knew my grandfather he died round about the time i was born but in simply learning stuff about him not just his name but what he was like I was rather pleased. I thought, I had a very nice grandfather. <laughs> I must be like him. Gary, <laughs> 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 there is a downside to that too. When you uh, study family genealogies, you will often find the skeletons come out of the cupboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find some very interesting things in researching our family line. We found some things we didn't know before. And... Um, I think the Bible genealogies are there for a reason because despite how noble our line may be or may not be, God's grace extends to all genealogies and the ones in the Bible are particularly important Uh because when we get particularly to the one in Matthew, we'll see there is a reason as to why this genealogy was written and why the genealogies in Ezra and Nehemiah are important as well. It sets the foundation for looking at it a little more closely. I was actually hoping hoping that you might share with us some of those skeletons that are in your cupboard there, um, Brennan. You, uh, afterwards. You, uh, afterwards. Afterwards, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lydia. For some people, this genealogies could be insignificant subject, but God cares about it because if we read the Old Testament, I observe that for every king, God was mentioning there that in his life he served the Lord. And for the the wicked kings, he they were saying he was a rebellious king. He was a wicked king. He uh, all his life he was away from God. So God takes care. 
of the little things. Yeah. So uh, this is very important. There's a purpose to these genealogies. Exactly. Um, um, uh, Helen. I, I think it's interesting when you look at the Bible and the genealogies, you will see that whether the pe- person we c- consider was good or, b- or bad, you know, in our eyes, God lists them. Mm. You know, which tells me that God cares about everybody, mm. not just, you know, because that person is faithful and that person is trustful. They can go in that line. No, he mentions the skeletons in the cupboard yeah. because everybody is important to yeah. him. He does. Yeah. You're, you're almost starting to make lists of names sound exciting. Um, <laughs> almost. Lynn, well, share with us. Well, I think there's another issue. In the Bible, we read a number of genealogies especially in Matthew chapter 1 about Mm -hmm. the background of Jesus but also I believe this is an important point that shows that the Bible is true and authentic because archaeology has found time and time again ancestral people who were mentioned in the Bible but the secular world had no idea existed And then there have been certain findings, uh, inscriptions on stones and things like that that show their existence. So to me, it has a secondary valuable point. Mm. Shows that the Bible is authentic. Mm. Very, very good, Nick. Even though, Len, you stole my um, points, but I will uh, say a little bit different. In my opinion, I believe it's not secondary. I believe it's very important what you just said in terms of to prove that the Bible is true, is real, is looking back, is not just something out of context, you know, just a story here and there. The Bible look in the background, you know, as a, as a whole story. We, we like to call that, you know, uh, God's love letter to each one of us. Mm. And those portions in the Bible, uh, when we come across, let's say, even in Numbers, for example, or so on, very tempted to skip it over because oh, I don't want to know about these names. But that will prove that point uh, which, Len, you, you just made. Gary, there's a very important point here, particularly with the genealogy in Matthew. Given the time that it was written, which was uh, some time after Christ had returned to heaven, it's actually very important to uh, recognise that um, I think as, as you look through the genealogy, a Jew reading it would note certain people in there Mm. who are not Jewish, they would note that Christ's line came or that these people are listed as being in Christ's line. It also does another thing. The mystery of the incarnation, of God being incarnated in a human body, it also gives it veracity by establishing a human lineage. Yes, it doesn't deal with the um, divine veracity, but it does deal with the human veracity. Mm. It shows Christ as a human being. He came through a literal line. We can't explain everything there is to know about the incarnation. But what this does for a Jewish reader, reading the book of Matthew, it establishes Christ's bona fides because you remember that at one stage they said, um, we are Abraham's children, but we don't know where you came from. These genealogies actually show where Christ did come from in the human lineage of human history. And I think that's a very important point. I would like to make a little application here. For me, it's so important that God cares about a wicked person also, exactly the same as an obedient one. Because as as we said, uh, I found it uh, written in the Bible, in genealogy, God never skipped a name. 
So he cares because one person can be turned to God. And if God cares, it means I have to care for everybody, pray for everybody and care for everybody, every name. So God has a name for everybody. It's not a number. It's a name. Mm. Helen. Yeah, just just one point that came while, while Lydia was talking. I think we can learn lessons from our ancestors. And we forget that when we look at these lists of genealogies, if we go into some of those names, and yes, like you, Gary, I, I looked at it earlier and I thought, when I first became a Christian, I thought, oh, you know, why am I reading this? This is the most boring part of the Bible. And I think a lot of people would agree to that. But since I've done more study and I've gone back and looked at people's lives and where they fit in, and the lessons that I learned from them, I think we can learn, them, learn the same from our ancestors. No. Can I just sort of start to take us on a little bit of a journey mm, here? Because sure. I think there's something important that we, we, we do move, move mm-hmm. into. Uh, do you know, the, the genealogies to me, I see them in the scriptures, and, this, and it's true for them today as well. And that is that the, um, the, scripture, the scriptural genealogy seem to put stories into, into context. Uh, but the genealogies also put individuals into families that have, that have history. Now, I'd just like to pick up um, that, that thought just a little bit if we can, because I'm really conscious that we live in a very individualistic society. Almost everything about uh, our society has to do with the rights of the individual. The family has almost become a, a, an optional accessory. Um, I'd just like to sort of pick up on this a little bit because there seems to have been a change uh, from the way the family was uh, regarded in the past to how it is actually regarded today. Helen, tell me, do you think we've lost something by de-emphasising the family and promoting the rise of individualism? I would say absolutely. Absolutely, we have lost something. That something to me is also, again, talking about belonging. In history, you will see where the families were together. They met together, they ate together, they, they worshipped together. Um, and there is actually a great text in Deuteronomy, which, you know, can I share with you in just a minute? But nowadays, the individualism comes through. You know, I want to do it my way. How many families do you know today even have a meal together? Mm. A lot of them don't. They go their own ways. And, And to me, that is a really, really sad thing. And I'm seeing it too in the younger generation as well. There is a loneliness Yes. Even though it's individualism, oh, there is a loneliness that is coming through in our society, mm. and and unfortunately that often leads to suicide. And there's you know quite a high. And rate of course, of that. the Bible was never written from an individualistic perspective. No, it was no. always written from the perspective of families. Len, yes. When God created mankind, He created a family. Yes. Uh, a father, a mother, and children. Attempts have been made to erode this particular basic model of society. Mm-hmm. And I believe those attempts are very successful. And in this particular time of secularism, family has lost its importance. It lost its importance under communism. And there have been other isms where the family unit has it's been attacked. This is one of the foundations of biblical Christianity, isn't it? You know, the, uh, the nuclear family is certainly foundational, certainly coming from the book of, book of Genesis. Nick? 
I was just going to say that coming from a communist background, and you just mentioned that, and also from a, let's say, a remote area, you know, in uh, in my country, family was very important for many reasons which were already mentioned here. But one of the things which really stood up for me when I grew up, and I could compare when I come into the Western world to see the difference, was that a family was always accountable to their ancestors. Because that was the name of the family, if you like. Mm. If you are not responsible for who you are, uh, and that's where the individualism come in, because it says, who cares about uh, other people? What's most important is me today. And um, the evil one, very su- successful in breaking down uh, the family the family unit, what the Bible is presenting. And even though, Len, you, you mentioned that in, during communist time, uh, family was uh, kind of uh, breakdown, I can assure you that coming from that uh, region, that family was quite strong, actually, in comparison with the Western world, mm. because family had to resist together for what they were putting up with, particularly in a totalitarian regime. So you're talking a level of support there Absolutely. that each had to support the other and without that support you probably wouldn't have survived. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Brent. Can I read something from um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, which I think is relevant? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <clears throat> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Of course, we find this mentioned again in the New Testament when... Christ is talking to the uh, lawyer. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And of course we know the Jews did this um, physically. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In sharing God's rules and God's requirements with the family, I believe it was designed to bring the family closer together. What's happened in modern society is this. We live in an age, as others have commented on, of individualism. But this is going to make it very difficult for people individually because when they accept Jesus... They become part of a family. They become part of God's family. Those who go to heaven will be part of God's family. Uh And the Bible tells us that. It says we are sons and daughters of God. Okay. Uh, So I believe that that's a very relevant point. Today, as Christians, we are almost shouting in, in the wind by showing that the importance of family, both physical family and spiritual family, for some people, their spiritual family is going to become their family, I believe, Gary, because mm. that is what they will—that is what they will be modelling in heaven. Because that is what we will be in heaven. We'll be not only God's physical children, we'll also be God's spiritual children. Yeah, this passage you've just read, actually, in mm. uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, is an incredibly powerful one because it actually defines because. what God sees as the role of the family. Right. It is to uh, to to teach, to share. Uh, there's a there's a level of support here that I don't. I, I don't see uh, commonly society. commonly expressed. Uh, yes. Hell on you. I was thinking of my own family, and I was thinking of my sister when um, her sons were were growing up. And my sister was a an alcoholic, and sadly, I remember seeing her giving giving one of the boys when they were little a glass of beer, 
and I actually said to her, whatever you're doing, she said, well, she said, I, I want them to grow up making their own decisions, you know. And I said, well, what sort of an influence are you you're doing? And that was individualism. Yeah. And it's the same with religion, yes. you know, in the home. Yes. People think, okay, when they get older, they can pick. Today, unfortunately, in our society, even in our schools, they don't get that choice to hear creation, but they hear evolution. You yeah. with me? They're not getting mm. both points. Yeah, yeah. Here God is Good saying, point. bring me into your daily life. Yes. Mm. You know, mm. teach your children That's every day. That's what the text mm. is actually saying. You know, the key to teaching your children is to love God is stated simply and clearly in those verses. I mean, I don't think it can be any clearer. If you want your children to follow God, you must make God part of your everyday experience. Yeah. This, t- this takes us along that uh, past that uh, individualistic yes. uh, mindset, doesn't it? You know, Absolutely. Uh, Lydia? God designed the family to live together as they lived before. In the verse that Brenton just read in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, it says that the word of God was transmitted from generation to generation through the word of mouth because they didn't have books at that time. In verse 7, it says, Impress them, so impress the word of God on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, so when you go back to uh, to bed to sleep, and when you get up. So it means, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's so important for the family to be together, the, all, all the members mm-hmm. of the family, uh, m- most of the time, but in our society, it's totally different. Individualism and um, people living on their, on their own and for themselves, it breaks down this chain of transmitting from generation to generation, the love mm. of God, the Torah, the commandments, the regulations. So, because of this in society, uh, it turned to be different than it was before. In other words, the family has actually got a very powerful and important it, role yes, in the yes. transmission of values from one generation to exactly. the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick, you're, uh, yeah. you've been trying to get in there. I, I was going to just bring this to the, um, the whole theme of the Bible studies which we have for the last weeks particularly these people from Israel, they went into captivity, they were deported and how amazing is this that they kept together there in the hardship which they were experiencing in Babylon they were able to still keep the families together when they returned, that was the name was given, okay, this is the, the leader of the household or the leader of, of the group there, and there, was n- there were names there, which means they kept together in the hardship, in the trials. Mm. That's why in today's society, you know, when we facing those tribulation and hardship, we just uh, go crazy, you know, and people, mm. people ending their lives thinking, you know, what's the point? What's the point of living, you know, because of this? But if you know that you belong to a family, if you know that somebody else is affected by your um, whatever actions, then you'll think again. That is so important, so key, yes. because I am not in this world alone. As part of a family, I have others who care for me. Yes. Yes. Support. And, and it's that support level that I, I look at and I, I say, hey, in the, in the rise of individualism, we've also seen the rise of many suicides. We've yes. seen, you know, individuals unable to cope 
we weren't intended to cope alone. No. Uh, Len, you're Gary, I heard a fairly significant social comment a while back about teenagers, where they get their morality. And I was very surprised to hear that a minority of teenagers learn their morality from their parents. At that particular time, they were learning their, mora- their morals from programs like Home and Away, mm. which I think are not particularly responsible mm. in what they teach. Mm. And so here, this verse that Brenton read from Deuteronomy 6, it's, it's pointing out that parents have a responsibility to pass on not just the social history, but the morals that those children should grow up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is actually where the scriptures do actually yeah. come in, yeah. because it actually gives a foundation that uh, I would suggest you actually don't get anywhere uh, anywhere else. Uh, okay, let's let's just keep uh, keep moving if we can, because these genealogies that are so ready, so quickly uh, dispensed with, and we glance over them so um, uh, so quickly, they bring out just the importance of of the family. But you know, they bring out something else, and that's the importance of of history. Now, Len, uh, you come from an education background. Have we lost something by de-emphasizing? an understanding of history because I I know that uh, people can go through school now and uh, uh, study only a very minimal amount of certainly Western history. Well, I did hear somebody say one time that the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. Mm. Well, I don't think that's (laughs) quite true. Um, One of the things we learn from history is who we are. Another thing which I feel is important in particular in relation rather to what we're talking about today, history teaches us about God, teaches us about creation, it teaches us about redemption. Mm. So I believe that history is very important, otherwise it's almost like being lost in a morass of nothing. Mm. And so history helps us to have an identity and know really I suppose in another respect history points a direction where we should go mm. and mm. along with that saying Len that uh, probably we don't learn anything from history it's kind of true in some respects because that's our mistake that we don't learn from history that's why the saying is probably that uh, you know we don't learn anything from history because we don't want to to know the history Well, we have our own history too, apart from other family history. Mm -hmm. And just to add to what Nick was saying, I make a mistake. That's then become history. Do I learn from that mistake? Well, I'd better. Mm. Otherwise, my life will be a total disaster. Mm. Gary, there's a couple of points here that are pretty important. Number one, I think that um, history today, in some cases, is being rewritten. I think we we know that. Uh, That is a problem even in Australian society. Our history as as founders of uh, what we would call um, the modern civilization in Australia is being rewritten, in some cases deliberately. And I, I think it's very important for us to not only learn the lessons of history, but to recognize 
as you study history, you recognise one common trait that comes through. It doesn't matter whether it was back in the time of Noah or whether it was in 2019. People make the same mistakes. Ah. And the reason they make the same mistakes is because we are sinners. And sin has distorted our moral perceptions and our moral ability to judge and decide what is right and what is not right. Ah. And because of that, you just get what you get. You get the same old thing repeated. Ah. Just a slight tweak here or there, but it's basically the same mistakes being repeated. Uh How do you overcome that? You overcome that by asking for a new heart. You can only receive that, I believe, by asking God to change your thinking by giving you a new mind and a new appreciation for the fact that there is another way. It's revealed in Scripture. And if we follow that, we would have a very different society. Isn't it interesting, though, that the Bible actually is saying, through the genealogies, (laughs) that history is important. It is important to have an understanding of the way things have gone in the past. One of my favourite authors actually makes a statement and says, we've got nothing to fear for the future, save that we forget the way the Lord has led us in our past history. And to me, while it's true that, you know, uh, history does teach us that history teaches us nothing. I certainly accept that. We seem to repeat the mistakes, and that's what we're saying by that expression. We seem to repeat the mistakes of the past. It's also true in looking at history, we can actually see the the, 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 the things that um, history has stood for, that uh, noble people in the past have stood for, and uh, and the changes that uh, that mm. have uh, came about as a as a result. Uh, Helen. I'd like to clarify something you just said. You said history doesn't teach us anything. Well, I think history does teach us lots. It's just that we do not listen to history. We do not pay attention to history. So history in itself can teach us many, many lessons. And we've got examples of that in Scripture. But it's the not listening. It's not following. It's Mm. not the doing part of it. Mm. You know, it's like, well, I will do it my way. You know, so that's where the problem is. Not with history. The problem lies within ourselves. I think one of the greatest challenges we do face today, however, is that what we have, particularly within school, education systems that history itself is actually not being presented and as a result I'm I'm having to relearn everything that history has actually taught us yes. mm-hmm. and I think this is a becoming a huge challenge in the world in which we're facing today uh, Ligia you wanted to, to come in here Romania the country which I'm coming from has a very heavy history because people fought a lot in in the past to keep the country and parts of the country for themselves and um, as I was studying in the school uh, the history of my country I found out that people love the country and because of that they put their life in danger to keep the country free because Mm. the country was uh, very rich in in many things in gold, silver and minerals and Mm. many other things Oil. So, oil. as oil, yes, of Don't course, and um, as I studied the history, so I discovered my ancestors, mm. you know, and it was very good for me because I learned lots of lessons from that. I just want to show Brenton my forearm. What do you see, Brenton? Some rather red blotches, certainly. I have a fairly significant rash on my arm because the other day I helped one of our neighbours who's a widow remove some cactus plants that she wanted to get rid of. They were quite big and they were very prickly and I was using an axe and a machete 
And I said, well, look, I'll just go home and get my chainsaw. So I went home, got the chainsaw, and I cut these cactus plants into small bits. But, of course, a chainsaw spits out sawdust, and the juice from these cactus plants got got all over my (laughs) arms, and I'm covered in this rash on the arms at least. I've learned something from history. I won't use the chainsaw <laughs> on those cactus ever again. <laughs> so you do learn something from history, yes. yeah, yeah. but sometimes it hurts. Yes. Stick to the axe yeah. and the machete. But, <laughs> but how, how much nicer to be able to learn yes. from somebody else's mistakes Correct. than continually having to make those same mistakes myself? Yes. I know that now that you've told me that story, mm. Len, I'm not going to go and chop cactus plants with my chainsaw. Um, <laughs> and to me, it's so much easier to be able to learn from the mistakes of other people. Um, Helen. I, I was just going to say, isn't there some sort of a statement that says that if we continue to do the same thing over and over and expecting a change at the end, that's a sign of insanity. Exactly. You yeah, know, exactly. we need to do some changes and yeah. we need to learn from. Yeah. And this is what yeah. the scriptures are coming in at. In, to yes. me, there are some who say the scriptures are very irrelevant for today. To me, the more I look at the They're scriptures, I say, hey, these are the most relevant documents mm-hmm. that this world could have today. Yeah. It talks about my history. It talks about uh, genealogies. It talks about uh, the importance of family. Uh, this is so foundational for the world in which I'm living today. Um, yes. Nick, yeah, please yeah. share with us. I, mean, I know that we'll uh, probably uh, go to some... Uh, examples in the Bible with some people who didn't learn anything from the history and uh, really cost uh, everything, uh, their lives and so on, because then uh, it's a fortunate situation to learn from history and be able not to repeat that uh, mistake again, but what about for those people who are so ignorant and don't learn and will cost their lives and many others around them? And that's the challenge, we, because we are living in a world that is full of sin. And one of the things that the scriptures talk about is that uh, when, when sin comes, uh, pain and death come as a result of sin. Mm-hmm. And that's the challenge that we're living with in the world in which we are, which we are living at this mm-hmm. point in time. But look, guys, I'm conscious that we do have to move on because our time is, is getting away from us, uh, because we've been talking about this God of, God of history. You know, within the scriptures, we've, uh, we have this, uh, this God who's given us genealogies. Um, and what do they do? Well, they give us, uh, they talk about um, putting things in context. They tell us about the importance of the family. They tell us that families have history. But, you know, one of the things I'm conscious of is that the God in the Bible is also conscious of our, uh, of our history. Mm. Our Bible study guide actually talks about a king who failed simply because he didn't learn from history. It speaks of a man called King Bel- Belshazzar, and we find his story in uh, Daniel chapter, chapter 5. Now, this is a fairly long story. It goes on for the entire chapter, so we're not going to read it. But I'm just wondering, Helen, could you just very briefly tell us the story? story of what happened with King Belshazzar. Well, let me tell you first that King Belshazzar came from an interesting line and uh, I think for a long time history was denying the fact that Belshazzar even reigned. I I think that that was what happened. But um, I read that he was under his father. That's how you say it. Thank you for that. And he was his son and he co-reigned with his father. But the interesting thing is that one of his ancestors was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a very interesting history. We haven't got time to go into it all, but, oh, boy, it's worth reading and some of the lessons that he learned. But Belshazzar, didn't, Belshazzar did not learn from history. And in Daniel 5, verse 22, it says here, You are his successor, O Belshazzar. This is Daniel talking. You knew all this, yet you have not humbled yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and what did he know? He knew how his grandfather had been um, an egocentric guy and how God humbled him. But then, of course, the thing with Belshazzar, he went a step further than whatever I believe Nebuchadnezzar did with the the um, objects from the sanctuary. When they took the people into exile, they took the objects of the sanctuary, which were holy in the eyes of God and in the Jewish community, of course. And not only that, he went a step further when he was having a feast. They actually drank from those holy vessels. You know, when they first got them, they put, he put them in with his other gods which was defiling, really, the religion of the the Jewish Israelites. And so what happened to him? You know, he was there, just very briefly, he was there with his cohorts and they were drinking and carrying on, and all of a sudden there was handwriting on the wall. Now, I don't know how many people have experienced handwriting on the wall, but it can be earth-shattering when it happens, and it did. And the message that came to him was meeny, meeny, tekel, parson. And what that meant was God had numbered his days. Anyway, he was saying that the rain would be brought to an end. And I think that's also prophetic for us now in this time. Tekel meant weighed. You've been weighed in the balances and didn't measure up. And at the end, we're going to have a judgment. And are we going to be weighed in the balances? Are we going to have given our lives fully to God? and be amongst those on one side or are we going to reject God and parson meant divided your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians so his kingdom was going to come to an end as we know that this world will he was also weighed so you know with his love and and his commitment to God and his obedience and then it was divided at the end time we're going to see the sheep and the goats there's going to be a dividing here. So I believe that's also prophetic. But what happened to Belshazzar that night interested me because when I read in verse 30, it says, that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. Mm. Mm. That's right. So he definitely, he, he was his death decree, if you like, but it was because he didn't humble himself. You know, mm. he thought mm. he was above God and he worshipped all these other gods and here he was at mm. the end. Mm. A lost soul. Yeah. No, that's a, a, a Lugia. So Belshazzar, this king, young king. So King Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather, and he had some encounters with God through yeah. dreams. And this Belshazzar, he didn't learn the lesson because he heard about about these experiences of his grandfather with God. But he didn't learn the hist- from the history, mm-hmm. and he knew because in the verse in verse twenty two he said uh, uh, it says that you knew all this, but you didn't humble yourself. So he worked against God. Mm-hmm. I believe this is a very solemn thing. This is something that we should really take to heart. Now I have some uh, study helps in my Bible, and it talks about Belshazzar. He sinned not through ignorance, but through disobedience and pride. Secondly, he defied God by desecrating the sacred vessels, which Helen mentioned before. And thirdly, he praised idols and so did not honour God. You know, I believe this has 
a modern-day application. Mm, there are plenty of people around who know about God. There are plenty of people who know how they should live. Mm. But they put God to one side and say, she'll be right, mate. But it's not that way. Because, as I think we'll discuss in a few moments, everyone will be judged. And according to what we do with the knowledge that we have about God, we will be judged righteous or unrighteous, given eternal life or eternal damnation. This is where history really helps us to yes. be able to inform yes. our present, doesn't it? You know, mm. this is something that is that is so important. You know, in within the book of uh, of Daniel, and can I just sort of say to our, our listeners, if ever you get the opportunity to be able to attend a Daniel seminar, take that opportunity because this is probably one of the uh, most exciting studies that you can ever do. A lot of people don't realize that God actually worked for the salvation of King Nebuchadnezzar. As you track through the uh, the history of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, you see God repeatedly calling him back to a different way of living. Sometimes we think that in the Old Testament God only worked uh, for the uh, for the Jewish nation, but continually we find God uh, working for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of, of Babylon. We find him uh, working for uh, uh, for the Ninevites through Jonah. God mm-hmm. is continually sending his people on expeditions to call people back to to his way of living. Uh, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, yeah. do you know, he's a really exciting person as well because for many, many years, uh, Christian uh, 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 scholars uh, said that this man did not exist. Mm. And it was only in comparatively recent times that we found that, in fact, the last king of Babylon was not Nabonidus, as was shown in history, but rather there was a co-regency in place. In other Mm -hmm. words, a son, Belshazzar, was reigning with his father, Nabonidus, in a simultaneous manner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people never never actually realized that and when when that was realized suddenly a lot of people realized that the bible has information mm. that was not known at that time even to uh, to archaeology just a couple of comments uh, gary on that uh, number one the bible does actually reveal what she was just talking about the co-regency because you remember at the end of the time that daniel interpreted the meaning of the writing on the wall, he was offered the third rulership in the kingdom. Now, the reason he couldn't be offered the second is because uh, Nabonidus was the king. Yeah. Uh, Belshazzar was number two. Regent number yeah. two. He could only be offered number three. So there is biblical proof of it. Back up for but, but just going back a little bit further, uh, which sets the setting today in society, you find a lot of people who are downright defiant of God. Mm. And Belshazzar fits the mould fairly well. If you study what happened before this, Cyrus actually drained the waters of the Euphrates River by diverting them into an artificial lake a bit further up, thus lowering the water level and allowing his soldiers to march underneath the walls of, of Babylon. From what I've read, historically, they had enough food in Babylon to last 20 years. The city was considered impregnable, and indeed it would have been, 
Had they not, that night, when the soldiers marched through waist-deep water underneath the gates of the city, they would have just got very wet and marched out mm. the other end, except mm. the river gates, the city gates, were left open because mm. the guards were drunk and thus allowed the uh, Medes and Persians to come in and take over the city. We live in a society which is facing some issues, and I think most people realise that. They're, they're facing some real issues, and yet for many people, life almost seems to fly in the face of what God wants. Mm. It mm. almost seems to be a, a case of the middle finger salute. Mm. I'll live my life, which is what I got in the car today. On the way here, someone gave me the middle finger salute three or four times. And um, you say to yourself, you live in a society where people are unfortunately so far moved away from our Judeo-Christian heritage that now they're quite happy, they're quite open about their defiance of God and what God wants us to do. We have a responsibility as Christians to bring people back to following what God's Word says because it's the only safe course of action. Helen. Just an observation. If you compare Nebuchadnezzar's life and you compare Belshazzar's life, how many people and how many of our listeners would have heard the name Nebuchadnezzar? Quite a number. How many would have heard the name Belshazzar? Not very many. Mm. That, there was such a difference in their life. And Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself. Mm. Did he not? I mean, God brought it about, I know that. But, I mean, at the end, he was praising God. And what here we see Belshazzar, who knows the history. He knows it all. He didn't want to follow. He didn't want to listen. He didn't want to learn. And his end came very quickly. Very, very quickly. You know, and people have forgotten him. And even history Mm. forgot him Mm. until this came out. I just find that extremely interesting. Mm. Mm. No, thank you so much for that, Helen. Interesting story. This this story really emphasises that the, the God of heaven brings judgment on Belshazzar, the the ruler of the largest nation that then existed. God appeared to say, thus far you can go and no further. Now, this just brings me to to this whole issue of judgment because this this worries me just just a little because this is not a popular teaching today, particularly in in the contemporary religious world. Judgment. Is that something that is still relevant today? Certainly within Christianity, um, Christianity is becoming increasingly grace-based. Um, judgment is something that is certainly not, uh, not preached. And yet, is it, should it be preached? Is it, is it relevant for the age in which we're living today? Glenn, you're... Yes, well, I just want to make an, an observation. Once upon a time... 50, 100, maybe 200 years ago, people were motivated by impending judgment. Children were told, if you don't do such and such, you will be burning in the fires of hell, mm-hmm. and so on. I think the pendulum has swung too far the other way. Now it's all grace, grace, grace. Now I know grace is important. It's the most important thing. We can't be saved without grace. Amen. However... The emphasis is on grace. And I'd just like to add one other thing. I was doing some research last night looking at the um, prosperity gospel. Some of these preachers in some of these huge churches, United States of America, parts of Africa, Hillsong here in Australia, preaches this prosperity gospel. The emphasis is there. God will bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. 
but there's no thought within this teaching of the fact that one day we're going to have to face the judgment seat of God and have to be yeah. answerable for our actions. But what is the relevance? Let's come back to relevance. I mean, what is the relevance of this issue of judgment? I mean, that's a fairly harsh teaching in our in our world. Is it relevant? That's, that's the issue I yeah. want us to address. Yeah. Um, um, well, I had an episode not long ago, and I don't know if I shared it last week or not, where I actually got pulled over by the police. And, um, yes, they convinced me I had gone through a stop sign, which I wasn't even aware it was there that morning. And I'm usually a very, very careful driver. And I said, I said to them I was shocked that I had done it, and they could see I was genuine. And there was a judgment. And the judgment was the fine was $550. And I just looked at them and I thought, I'm a pensioner, $550. And, and I can remember just looking. I said, well, if I do the crime, I need to pay the fine. There is a judgment. But there was also grace because when they wrote out the ticket, she gave me it to me and she said, I need to tell you, you are not going to be charged. I've put down that you've had a warning. And that, to me, epitomizes the judgment. God is giving us eternal life. It's a free gift uh-huh. But we also have, I mean, salvation by works doesn't come in here. Our salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. However, he also asks us, if you love me, keep my commandments. There is an obedience there as well. And I think, to was it 2 Corinthians where I just noticed it in 5.10? It, it comes here and it, and it's, it says, for, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, you know, when I thought about the police there and bless them for what they did, I had to stand before them. Mm. You know, and I was judged, and I was judged rightfully. Uh-huh. I had broken the law, and I was judged. And here it's coming out here in this text. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. That's awesome. That's sol- That's solemn, mm. really, when you think of it. And we can now, we have God's grace now, before that comes... To give our lives fully to him, to confess our sins, his faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we'll be covered by his robe, and then we will be judged either through what Christ has done for us or we'll be judged by our denial of Christ. Okay, okay, Brent. Gary, you were looking at, um, uh, shall we say, a short uh, comment or a short answer as to why there is a need for judgment. The answer is accountability. Um, we are very strong in our society today on accountability. Now, why should it be seen as foreign and strange that God should also have accountability? When you read um, Acts chapter 24, verse 25, it says this. Now, as he reasoned, that's Paul, about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go your way for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Mm. The convenient time never came. But we live in a society where accountability is considered to be paramount. Well, why is accountability to God for what we have done also not Mm. equally important? Mm. It's a valid point, I think. This is is actually very important, actually, Len. I feel that in our current society, the majority of people do not take God seriously. Mm. I think that... um, The more secular society has become, the less people think about God and the things of God. 
Now I want to say something pretty um, heavy here. I believe it is the intention of Satan to hide all knowledge of God and accountability to God mm. from people and puts all kinds of diversions mm. in front of people mm. like pleasure, sport, getting rich, whatever, whatever and tries mm. to hide the knowledge of God and the fact that one day people will have to answer to God their creator, the one who gave them life. Okay, so we're coming to accountability, this yes. issue again. Yeah. Um, Helen, you're... Yeah, just, I know we haven't got a lot of time left, but I was thinking back to the text that uh, Brenton read, you know, when, when Felix became frightened, he said, go away for now, when it is more convenient, I'll call I'll you call again. You. My brother comes to my mind in that my brother went through the same teachings as I did, and he was convicted of scripture, as I was through the prophecies in Daniel, but he actually turned away because his fiance at the time said, you become um, a Christian and in that church you can become one without me. When my mother uh, was alive, he used to visit a lot and it was great. And we talked about lots and lots of things. He became convicted of the Sabbath through that time. When my mother died, he said to me, I can no longer come and stay with you. I said, why not? And he said, because if I come, he said, I am going to become a Christian Adventist like you. And I said, is that such a bad thing? And he said, maybe at another time. And I was, I always mm. remember him when I read this, you know, when he says, go away for now when it's more convenient, I'll call you Ooh, again. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, has yeah. not. And yet the Lord specifically says, now is a day of salvation. Please, listeners, don't put it off. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is so important. None of us knows what's going to happen no, in the next don't. five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Please don't put it off. You know, my nephew who just died, he said to me, I want to wake up in the resurrection and see my beautiful Lord. I don't want to wake up in Satan's mm. camp. Yeah. And yeah. Now. This, this is actually so important. Yes. I know that I have the privilege from time to time of studying this uh, uh, this teaching with uh, with with young people. And one of the things I'm really conscious of is this issue of accountability comes up time and time again. And yes. by actually depreciating uh, the importance of judgment, what we're doing is depreciating the uh, importance of accountability. And I'll actually talk to our, our young people frequently and I'll, uh, I'll share with them and ask, you know, do you believe that it's important that Adolf Hitler be held to account for the crimes that he committed? And they admit that most this is so important. Yes. What about pedophiles in our community? You know, the ones that possibly have uh, have never um, even admitted to. and brought been brought to justice. Is it important that they be? And what about all that hidden stuff that's actually there? Um, is it important that God calls people to account? What He's doing in the judgment is is offering forgiveness. He says, "Come to me." But then there is also the other side of the coin. You get, you, get the, you get grace, and grace is such a wonderful gift that God has given to his people. But on the other side of the coin, you have this teaching of judgment, or what I would call today accountability. In fact, if I go to the book of Revelation, and again, that's an exciting book of the Bible, and, and our listeners, if ever you get the opportunity to be able to sit in a, a Daniel or a Revelation seminar, hey, take that opportunity, because there is so much in uh, in this particular book. But I think of uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 6, and uh, this is a, a message that actually comes out just prior to 
to the record of Christ coming a second time. It says this, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. I love that gospel. To preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment or the hour of accountability has come. And to me, as I look at this particular passage, I say this is a powerful passage because what it's actually doing is linking together the gospel and it's linking together accountability. The two have to go together. If you have one without the other, you've actually got, you've actually weakened uh, the whole, the whole gospel, uh, gospel presentation. Uh, the scriptures to me actually tie, uh, the two, uh, the two together. Uh, Nick. I was just going to add on that, uh, Gary, because it's very important in this passage in you know, Revelation that, you know, was mentioned here that, um, today a lot of Christians, they just, uh, go on grace basis which uh, you know which is really good because salvation is through the grace of God forgetting about the uh, the judgment but in that passage it puts it together yes uh, and uh, as we read a bit early in second Corinthians 510 it says but all people come before the judgment and one particular thing I uh, remember from this Bible study uh, today is that um, when judgment come upon people and in the case we mentioned Belshazzar, was not only for him, unfortunately, and for the kingdom which was wiped out, uh, was also for those people who witnessed this. And there was, there were Jewish people also there. Even today, there are people who follow Jesus, Christians. Judgment is an important thing for us as Christians to be reminded that God is the one who will keep his word. Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I think it's, we're going to have to finish because I'm conscious our time is fast, uh, is fast moving away from us. And in fact, I'm, uh, I'm conscious that we have covered a huge amount of ground today. But you know, the one thing this is all saying to me is that perhaps the Bible is not as irrelevant as what many people believe it is. You know, even in the apparently insignificant portions, uh, things like genealogy, it provides a foundation that are relevant to contemporary humanity. Uh, lists that emphasize the importance of the family. They talk about the wonderful benefit of history. It's a book that speaks of accountability in an era that's crying out for justice. It sounds like a wonderfully relevant book for our contemporary era. I just want to read... Harry, would you like me to offer prayer? I'd love you before I preach another sermon. Thank you so much for that, uh, that, Brent. Father in heaven, we thank you that through Jesus our Saviour we have eternal life. Grace has been poured out on us abundantly. And as a result of that grace, Lord, we have accountability to you for the way we live our lives and more specifically the way that we treat others, those around about us in the community that we meet with. I pray for each person listening to this Bible study today that they will realise that we are accountable to those around about us, not only our immediate families, biological families, but those that we mix and mix with uh, during the day. Help our lives, Lord, to honour and glorify you and help our lives to attract others to the one who gave himself for us. May that be our prayer, our experience this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you very much, everyone, for all the very good uh, comments, and may God bless you all.